0: Welcome to JR Out Loud, the podcast of Jewish Renaissance. I'm Judy Herman, and it's incredibly exciting for me today to be talking to Steve Waters about this magnificent drama that spans decades of the story of the creation of the State of Israel from the perspective of a young Arab growing up through it and a young Jewish refugee growing through it, Miriam and Youssef unmissable. So welcome to JR Out Loud and thank you so much for talking to me, Steve. Thank My you. pleasure. Thank you for having me. First thing I wanted to ask is research. Obviously, you must have read a lot, you must have been online a lot. Did you do research on the ground? That's what I wondered. Had you been
1: to Israel, Palestine? Yes, in all sorts of ways, actually. I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to to embark on it was because I had a very formative uh experience in israel back in the 80s actually i mean as you probably guess i'm sort of 50 something now and i was there on a kibbutz for oh you as well months, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so uh it's it, uh, and sort of ended up there for all sorts of fairly uh arbitrary reasons in that kind of terrible gap year i want to do something interesting mm. but it turned out to be you know really definitive experience actually so i had that a very powerful sort of set of memories from mid-80s um i mean i've had sort of engagements with the middle east in different mm. ways since then but i did go back to israel last year but I, I stayed in jerusalem and just just reacquainted myself with the city and uh, traveled into the palestinian authority areas i wouldn't suggest that anything very specific was taken but as you can imagine it's something about the sense of place i think it's about mm. the sense of place and uh, you know, I do find it a very exciting place to be, and and you know, obviously the drama has located itself squarely within Jerusalem and its environs. So, but I made a fatal mistake of going during Pesach, so ah. <laughs> everything was closed. And, yes, of course, um, but you know that was interesting. Of course, yes, well. it's
0: part it's, of the story, yeah. isn't it? Actually, yeah. the funny enough, the first thing I'd written down was that you catch that spirit of time and place that Jerusalem landscape. But mm-hmm. I, when I was last there. I remember I was doing some recording and I walked down the street and at the same time I could hear church bells, cries of the market and all the yeah. rest of it, and there was a helicopter overhead. And I yeah. felt that summed the whole thing up. So it was yeah. being Arab, it was being Jewish, it was being Christian, and it was being incredibly tense, yeah. uh, which yeah. I think it just is. So, and, I yeah. th- and I think you expressed that beautifully in the whole thing. Yes, so, thank you. Um, so I wanted to ask you, it's hard. You've, you mm. have to be even-handed. So you've painted these mm. two wonderful characters. I really mm. do love your, your main characters, Miriam and Youssef. Mm. And you, you give them lots of cards. To hold, I and mean, we really mm. go into their backstory. And obviously, I don't know how it's going to pan out, but I love the yep. fact that they keep encountering each other. Um, mm-hmm. and I gather that they don't get married because there's a man called <laughs> Yahoshua who clearly yeah. it says Miriam's husband in the cast list. So, yeah. And you're, also, they <laughs> now, are there's
1: already a spoiler there, that, that, yes, yeah, yes.
0: but it's there, isn't it? I mean, it's in the, the point is, we haven't I don't feel we've met him so much yet, have we? But he, mm. he. This story is being told by Miriam and her husband to their mm. daughter. So they've mm. got this perspective on it and that we we meet grandma. Um, yeah. The, 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 one of those women from the old country who is never mm. going to settle down. We, we mm. know that we know. Um, and Miriam, who clearly is exactly what is wanted in, mm. in, in, in the new land. So uh, the other thing I noticed was that the, the subtitle is a drama about the founding of Israel. Then it says 1917 to 1948. So it tells you quite a lot. That's mm-hmm. You're really delving back to that early time, aren't you? So yeah. just, just tell me what brought it all on. I mean, yeah. apart from possibly um, got commissioned. Yes, what that, that's a very
1: good question. I mean, I, I think that it felt as you, you know, I'm, I'm glad you've detected this desire to create. Uh, I wouldn't even call it balance because in a way we've taken balance to mean something about equivalent whereas to me it was more about the fact that this cannot be one story this is many stories and uh wherever whatever position you adopt you're going to come out in a slightly different way and i felt that the thing that licensed me to embark was in some respects to recognize this was a british story as well yes i uh, noticed that yes yeah. yes and the title of course doesn't really quite reflect that but i think that you know i almost feel it's miriam yusuf and harry you know, the yes. sense of um you know, that, the duration of the mandate is crucial to the shape of it. And, and as you say, I mean, you, you cannot, I mean, if you hit any point in that story in isolation, you don't understand the story. So to try and have that scope of 30 years, which is, you know, a very large scope for any drama, uh, but fun, the episodic quality of writing a drama for the World Service in this way did give me that possibility of, of trying to track it in what I, I think of as three acts, you know, in the oh. 20s, the 30s, and the 40s. And actually, the 40s, you know, particularly concentrated around the years, 46, 48. So that, I don't know when I got that, but I definitely had a very strong sense from an early point that I wanted to have these, these inventor characters in the foreground, and I wanted to track them in, in parallel. Um, and as you rightly point out, the title might suggest a sort of slightly Romeo and Juliet mm, definitely, kind of narrative, yes. mm. but in a sense, the reader's heading for disappointment if that's what mm. they think they're going to get, and that's historical realism, I think. It is a degree in which it's about two lives brushing against mm. each other, sometimes coming together, sometimes not. There's some very affecting moments, I think, very late in the story where, you know, without giving too much away, you see them as adults encountering each other in very different circumstances and so i think that's the you know and with any story of this this scale and and importance i think finding an aperture that's manageable a way into it where you can really get your imagination um uh to sort of land is the critical task so uh by keeping it quite individualized and quite localized that that helped me sort of not get lost in the mm. geopolitics i suppose
0: Because i think it, it grounds it like you say um and you're you're good at contextualising it too. I mean, you've got the Balfour Declaration there. We're working towards that terrible moment where there was this terrible crash in Jerusalem, mm, entirely mm. this febrile atmosphere, which you build up brilliantly in the episode I've just listened to, and you know it's all going to end in a lot lot worse than tears. <coughs> there's so much at stake. Um, and as I, as you said, you, you could have called it Miriam, Yusuf and Harry. We should explain. Harry Lister is a British civil servant. He's <laughs> a decent mm. man. Mm. That's... You know, he really is. He wants to help this bright, young Arab boy, Yosef. And indeed, he does, but it goes, no, well, I won't give too much away. But mm-hmm. everything he does, he does for the best. Yes. Uh, but that's balanced against the awful cynicism of his um, the people who are actually he has to report to. Mm-hmm. Who, you know, and, you know, really, I don't know, I don't think they've really got much time for the Jews or Arabs, have they? They're, no, they're, no. <laughs> they're just Brits, by the man. And there are a lot. There are lots of quotes and things. I I kept writing down quotes because I loved some of the things that you said. It Where it's going to drive the Jews out of the West, then the North, East, and South. That's obviously one mm-hmm. one of the Arab leaders trying. You know, I think was yeah, the Mufti, yeah. I think. And there's lots of things I kept writing them down because they were just so interesting. Just your choice of words. I think people need to look out. If they're listening, look out for some really lovely turns of phrase, which I think Mm. must be yours, but they Mm. sound totally correct in the mouths of your characters. So Mm, I am very, mm. very impressed by that. I like that a lot. That's great. Mm. Mm. The one, what's a wonderful quote you had about um, uh, the Balfour Declaration? It, a, a very English equivalent of what would have been Balfour Schmalfour, if you see what I mean. <laughs> oh, I found the quote, yes, so much for Balfour and his bloody declaration. You know, that <laughs> absolutely dismissive of this thing, which was actually, you know, I think mm-hmm. has caused an awful lot of misery. In its way, mm-hmm. I, d- I don't know what to say about that, but that's the <laughs> bit that uh, your, your average Jew would say "balfour smile yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I wanted. To know, there's a very interesting the way you leave behind this idea of Yiddish,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and the, there's a marvelous quote you have. So there's this Joshua in the, on the kibbutz. He's a kibbutznik, mm-hmm. a, um, a halutz, um, a pioneer. And he is saying, no Yiddish, right? I'm going to to be as free as that swallow of my past. And he's pointing at a swallow. I wanted to ask you, I don't know if you know the folk song, Donna, 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 but it sounded like a direct quote. Oh, not. Oh, wow, I thought you were being really (laughs) clever there because it's about a swallow flying free and there's a a calf bound for market, bound on a car. And the swallow Mm. is saying, and that's meant to obviously represent, uh, you know, Jewish people being a subject to pogroms and not getting away. And the swallow is the freedom. And, you know, it sort of says everything. So I just wonder, because I could see you've done a lot of research. There's mm. bits of Yiddish, there's bits of Hebrew. Mm. Uh, you had me in tears. I think it's the end of episode one or is it two, where you have the Hatikva mm. playing in mm. the background and you say, mm. oh, it's a song about hope, which mm. is what Hatikvah means. That is the Israeli national anthem. And, I you know, I can't hear it without, as you can hear, choking up. Choking up. Mm. And no, like, no, no, uh, no, yeah, no. Because it's... You know, there is still the hope, but, you know, how much hope Mm -hmm. do we have? I don't know. I mean, you know, it's a very conflicted piece of land now. I'm glad I went there myself and worked on the kibbutz, exactly what you were saying. Yes. When things weren't quite like this. Both my children spent a year there, gap year. Also Mm -hmm. just about managed, you know, they they connected with a lot of Palestinians. But Mm -hmm. I do find it the whole thing tragic. And I I don't entirely want to go in where we are now because that's not what this is about. It might be... How did we get there from here? But it, you know, as, you, as you're stopping, you're really working up to the creation of the state, and mm, mm. You know, the, the, the good and the bad that comes with yes. that.
1: So, yeah, I think I think coming into some of the things you've, you've observed there, that I think that, I mean, obviously one of the things that lies behind this is trying to sort of unpick these deadlocks and closures around people's current perceptions of the situation between Israel and the Palestinian people, but also. Some of the kind of um ignorances that attend upon terms Mm. like Zionism and so on. Uh I I, you know, as I mentioned, having been on the kibbutz in the 80s, I mean, I was sort of there as a socialist. That was, you know, if I understood Mm. anything and I didn't understand a great deal, it should be said, I think I thought I was there for those reasons. And I was, you know, that's why I wanted to write quite a bit about Ben Gurion, although he's you know, he's an incidental character, which I quite like sort of reversing the structure of it. Yes. He is clearly a vital figure in this story. And I think what Miriam represents in the 20s and yoshua as well, and the kibbutz is that sense of, you know, that visionary sense of building a completely new society uh, and, of course, escaping from absolutely endemic, brutal repression. And, and you know, that... You know, it's very hard to sort of not see that as a positive story, whatever the collateral effects it may have on some of the indigenous population.
0: I think there, uh, yeah, no, yeah. you're know, you absolutely right. They have made this. If you read, and I'm sure you have, some of the writings of Ben-Gurion, and I think mm. the prayer that we say in the liberal synagogue every week, you know, we have to bless the Queen, our own congregation, then we have a prayer for the land of Israel. And it always says, for the benefit of all its inhabitants. And yes, that was yes. him. I think he meant well. I honestly I do. And well, there's,
1: there's an interesting moment in the next episode, not to give it too much away, right. but I wanted to explore... I mean, you, you've, we've, we've met Rabbi Judah Magnus. I, yes. I'm kind of interested in this tradition of uh, one nation, two communities, as it were, that is constantly, uh, if you like, alluded to the British Shalom movement and so on within that sort of uh, a sort of pre uh, state history and, and Ben-Gurion was qu- almost drawn to it I think in the 30s at the point of you know the Arab revolt and so on I think he wanted to seek some kind of uh, conversation with uh, Arab nationalism there's a, there's a little scene I put in there which features Musa Alami, who's another character who really fascinates me who's yeah, this kind of you know for want of a better word liberal Arab nationalist thinker uh, and they did meet and they met I think on about four occasions actually uh, in 1934 and Those little moments of hope, they they were kind of the meetings were convened by Judah Magnus, who seems to me an extraordinary figure. I mean, almost naive beyond belief at various points. I mean, he was so sort of wedded to that notion of, um, you know, a a sort of Palestine for all, regardless of the, if you like, circumstances on the ground, that he became a kind of pariah by the point of the foundation of the nation. But they, you know, those voices are there, aren't they? And that's what's so. Mm sort of haunting about this story that if you like one could predict the end of the story from the beginning in some respects
0: yes absolutely i mean um we're sort of speaking from an interesting position of knowing quite a lot about it yeah but your world service audience a lot of them won't know anything about it or Mm. or may have deeply entrenched um opinions that are unsupported so what would you say to them how to
1: approach it yeah, that's. Uh, thank you for that question, actually, because it, it, one of the things about the World Service writing into that slot is not least, you know, that not everybody, of course, has English as a first language. Mm-hmm. And so you you're kind of I think there's an imperative upon you to be as clear as possible and to, you know, to see it as a kind of storytelling medium, um, which is speaking to a, a genuinely global audience. And I, I, I mean, I'm thrilled by that challenge. So to the audience i think as you as i think i'm just picking up what you're saying there, i think that i would invite them to come um and this is impossible uh but with as few preconceptions mm. as possible mm. and just to enjoy the characters stories now clearly they're you know everyone's invited to part company from the story where there's things that they don't agree with or that they think are uh, you know challenge their understanding of the circumstances but i will say that I have had everything checked as with as many people as I possibly could from as many different camps, um, and I, and not so that it's like balancing on a sort of uh, dancing on a pin of sort of pedantry, but I think there's a degree to which I want the story to be really precise um, and really true to those circumstances. So much so that you know you'll you'll notice in later episodes there's quite a lot about sort of ter- terrorist activity, things that would now be deemed to be terrorist activity, mm. both within the Jewish community and the Palestinian community. But I, you know, even where, for instance, the bombing of the King David Hotel, which yes, I you've got at, to at to some point, Yeah, to. I mean, <laughs> you have to look at that from the perspective of the participants as well as the victims. And, you know, I think that at least one thing that history allows us to do is to step away from, our current positions, and that's why I I found this a valuable project rather than a depressing one. I mean, I I actually think it's a tale full of hope as much as, you know, despair, because there obviously is despair and there's loss and there's suffering. Um, The other thing that I, you know, I must say, you you, came back to your question about research, I mean, I think one of the things that's very exciting is the historiography, particularly Israeli historiography, but also Arab historiography. It's incredible works, really, by Tom Segev and I got very interested in this historian, Hillel Cohen, who I, I was lucky enough to meet in Israel, who who offers this amazingly finely balanced and also dual cultural because he, he's an Arab speaker as well mm. as a Hebrew speaker. So his history literally is is sort of moves paragraph by paragraph between mm. uh, perspectives. And, you know, there's some really great work out there, Russia Khalidi as well, that's very dispassionate and I, I think is you know, I, I, if this could resemble that work in any way, I'd be very, very pleased, mm. you know, because that work to try and unpick the sort of closure of thought is surely what any drama to try and achieve.
0: Yes, uh, it's very interesting. You, you do quite constantly do this sort of parallel thing. I mean, during this dreadful conflagration where you know, Jerusalem's pretty well going up in smoke, so one sentence, you you know, where did that hatred come from, somebody said. So one... one um, you 've got someone saying they 're burning the scrolls the scrolls, mm. and the next minute you 've got a mi- Muslim saying they 've defiled the Holy Quran with mm. the holy book, mm-hmm. so you know it's it 's happening on both sides all yeah. the time and um I've actually spent years, I did quite a lot of reports about coexistence projects actually from Israel a few years mm-hmm. back and I just said sides there. I taught myself to say the two communities to try and stop saying that terrible word sides. You see, i forgot mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, there's a lot of interesting language. You know, there's There's another bit where the Jews on the kibbutz are saying the Jews have made something beautiful here or maybe one of the uh, the Arabs says I don't know Mm -hmm. but that's countered with the earth was stolen from us you know they're an Mm -hmm. infestation and Mm -hmm. you know that's the language of anti-Semitism isn't it that idea of Jews as an infestation it's absolutely Mm -hmm. terrifying so Mm
1: -hmm. um, yeah I mean and and there there is a lot of uncomfortable things in there I mean you can imagine for the actors it's pretty uncomfortable kind of stuff actually and you know I'm very mindful of that I mean you know it's Despite the fact that you know there's very few expletives, and you know, this is quite a difficult lesson, and you know I hope that that's um, sort of countered by the, let's say poetry and the the, the texture of the characters. Yeah. But I will say to any listener, this is going to sometimes be quite a painful 27 minutes, which is what each episode clocks <laughs> yes, yes. in at.
0: <laughs> Actually, what I was saying when we started that um, I don't know who writes the little trails, whether it's you or the. the, the Producer, but the trails into the next episode are absolutely perfect. You hear what's a, a little of, a little taste of, a little enticing taste of yeah. what's going to be about, a tiny extract, and you can't wait to listen of course i've now got mm. away because i've heard the first three but
1: one wasn't available, so i'm kind <laughs> yes. of chafing at the bit we're, bits we're in the narcotic business here it's you are aren't you? yes yes <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and then let's just i just talk a little bit about the how um yes first of all you've got this incredible cast i have to say um, many yeah. of whom i go back a long way with actually um serene saba and i i've interviewed her quite a lot and Elliot mm. is your go-to Jew. Yeah. <laughs> Elliot Levy, this is you know. Yeah. If you if you need someone to, I'm not at all surprised to find him playing Ben Gurion. So um, yes, that doesn't particularly surprise me. But um, Shani Erez is. Mm. Uh, I interviewed her only last year when oh. she was playing Shylock for. <laughs> yes, I wish know. I'd seen that. That would oh, have been
1: extraordinary.
0: Absolutely. First of all, it was most. Well, I mean, you. It sounded so unpromising right, <laughs> we're going to introduce uh, children from the top of primary school onwards to Shakespeare with a cut-down version of The Merchant of Venice. So you think, first mm-hmm. of all, well, that's a crap play to choose. And, sa- <laughs> and then you it's say, cut Jewish. down. Well, it wasn't a crap play to choose. And mm. it was brilliant. It was fast. It was funny. And I gave that five stars when I reviewed it. And I spoke to several people involved, but very specifically to Sh- Sh- Shani. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, after watching you as this defiant Jewish... Mother, widow, um, trader—all the things that you're. I can't actually think I'm going to be able to imagine Shylock as a man anymore. I can't do <laughs> that. I cannot do the Jew as a beard anymore. So I think she's wonderful casting. Yeah. She. Yeah. Um, and I think you know her. No, I'm. Going, you say his name because I'm going to mispronounce it. Her. Um. Her Oppo, who's playing Yusuf. I'm oh, Amir, Amir El nazri Yeah. Amir El yeah. Amir El nazri He's absolutely yeah. superb. He's got all that yes. hope in his voice. Uh, yes. I just, you know, like, heart, my heart breaks every time
1: he has a setback and
0: there's a fair few of those. <laughs> he, he, mm. he is
1: an extraordinary actor. I mean, one of the... I mean, obviously, we hear in the early episodes, they tell the story. Mm. I think that one of my great pleasures in the recording is just the, the warmth of the and the humanity, the detail of their voices. Um, it's almost like two wonderful instruments and, in, mm. you know, kind of counterpoint. Of course, when we hit episode four they are very Yusuf and you know so there's an incredible emotional weight when they step into the scenes as well as commenting on the scenes mm. and and it it's been a good great pleasure of the production that we could go through you know a ch- couple of children wonderful children they were
0: good, and yeah. teenagers yeah. and
1: and I mean in film that would be quite tricky but actually funny enough the radio audio you follow the voice mm. in such an interesting way and I think it bonds you quite interestingly with you know so you're actually uh, you know waiting for those actors to sort of take 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 up the character and the burden of the character and they're incredible i mean yeah and i, I think obviously the multiculturalism of the company is 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 as much c- as significant Absolutely as the content terrific. of the yeah, drama, yeah. and that that you know, radio is a fairly fast and furious affair. There isn't, as you well know, there isn't much time to sit and chat. But the conversations in the green room were great, and okay, I, and I that, felt that mm. a sort of you know the the dynamic of the company was was a real joy.
0: Mm. And the, the, there's also a you know, I'm going on with this balance thing. The mufti mm. is he's a sort mm. of. That's the nearest thing we've got to a definite Arab extremist. And there are mm. moments when you suspect that David Ben-Gurion being slightly set against him as, as a bit of an extremist as well. There's mm. one, one particular speech, I thought. But th- again, it's always, you know, six of one and half a dozen of the other. And I, I mm. think that is important because I think that is the way it is, whichever way you look at it. Terrible mm. things on both sides. I'm not saying more than that. So. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but, um, mm. Anyway, to go back to the production, um, interesting decision. You've got a composer, Glenn Sharp, mm. who does a brilliant job, but you didn't think of using found music. I thought that was interesting that you, he yeah, started I think from scratch.
1: Yeah, I think it's always better to compose, if possible, to have original music. I think Glenn's work is vital for the success of the project. I, I, mm. I wasn't aware of Glenn before this project, and I, I think what he did was beautiful because he he consciously mixed obviously ouds and kletzmer music and mm. found this incredible fusion of the two musical traditions and indeed the instrumentalists were both from those traditions so uh that to me nails the whole meaning of the project so i mean obviously there are occasional moments of incidental or atmospheric music so the hatifa and you know various other things but uh he provides a spine for the show i think yes. actually as much as their individual voices and yeah, his contribution is huge. I think, particularly with something like the podcast, and you know, it's a very intimate experience. There's another thing I like about this form that you know, obviously, I'm usually I write for the stage, and the mm. stage is, you know, by definition, a little bit more rhetorical. Whereas there's something you can capture in audio drama, which is very, very close to close up. And I think the music, which is more. You know, it's full of melancholy, I suppose. It is very melancholy, yes. And it it defines a tone which is not about confrontation, even if the story often has to be. And I think that's really very, so very humane about that music.
0: Yes, I mean, there's a bit where they're dancing the horror, but I think he must have written a bit of music Mm. to which they are apparently dancing. But again, you know, I think that's good because then it doesn't come trailing associations that some of us might have. So I like that. But the for obviously is a for That is a national anthem mm. and it, it, it does need to come trailing what it trails.
1: Interesting <laughs> side note on that, Judy, that mm. you know that occasionally if you want to use those things, you have huge copyright fees, weirdly. So really? uh, that's another reason sometimes oh that there's original compositions. What, lot of the
0: hatikva, you know, I so even
1: like national anthems, you can sort of end really? up paying a massive sort of tithe to sort of use them. So, yeah, yeah. so I'm told.
0: dear, well I hope that doesn't include the particular... The the battle rages on, there's a debate as to whether it's based on Voltavar by Smetana. I say not, I think they just sound similar. (laughs) Lots of people say I'm wrong, but I'm not getting into Mm -hmm. that one. Were it definitely to be based on Smetana, I guess it's out of copyright and that's that, so perhaps I should go back to thinking that, but anyway. um, Caleb Knightley, is it? You have a sound designer. Caleb Mm. Knightley, have I got that right? Yes. Um, Again, that is that tapestry of sound is really important because yeah. that's what we've got to conjure with isn't yeah. it apart from the music and the, and the voices it's probably it's prob- it is another voice it's, it's, yeah it's very
1: important and, i mean things like i mean we were talking know, about jerusalem i mean you know the sound of the hoopoe bird <laughs> yes. for instance uh or a jackal you mm-hmm. know i mean these are not you know sounds that a, a, a drama says anywhere else would would draw upon and i think that you know, Caleb's work is incredibly precise. We spent a long time trying to work out, were there bells around goats? In Palestine, or <laughs> you know, and, and yeah, I think caring about that really matters. Really and really
0: lovely. And what was your final? Um,
1: we decided th- that there were. I, I feel that that's where it all started, but you oh, know, maybe bells. maybe they were just Swiss. I don't know. Oh, right. Well, that,
0: that, you know, I am deeply into goats. In fact, on a kibbutz that I was recording on, I was trying to record the goats, which is a terrible mistake. You never never stick a microphone near a goat, it would try for <laughs> anything it can in, your, in it. It just chews it, presumably. Yeah, I yeah. only just got away with my mic, but it was very funny. I, Goats can do anything, they can do it wrong, as far as I'm concerned. I think they're absolutely <laughs> gorgeous creatures, I love them. But yes, I can see why that would be terribly important. I mean, I would fuss yeah. about that too. I'm, I'm very pleased to hear you nitpicking away there, that's very, very good. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: even even the sort of types of weaponry, vehicles, mm. you know, I mean, that's one of the things I love about the BBC. They I say, you know, that there are people in there. Who really love to think about that kind of stuff mm. and know where to find that kind of stuff, and I, it, you know, it's one of the reasons why we should defend them so passionately because it is a read, really, it's a, it's full of crafts people, mm. of real accomplishment. That yeah,
0: it certainly is. Now, the, the timing of transmission is it just is it specifically set so it's roughly near all these rather important days? We've just had Yom HaShoah, which is mm. the you know the, the, the Holocaust Memorial Day in Israel and the wider community rather than Mm -hmm. the one we have here. Uh, We've got Yom Hatzmut, um, Israel independence, and Yom Hazikaron, the the, uh, the day of remember of those who have fallen for Israel. And many people mark that day, not just... I mean, traffic comes to a standstill. I've been there. People get out of their cars and stand there, and it's very moving. But they also nowadays... um, uh, Arabs and Israelis will come together. I, you know, there's a um, there's the work of the bereaved parents forum, where a parent from each side who's been bereaved, or may, may not a parent, you know, someone's lost their brother, mm. someone's lost their son, and they'll work together for peace. But they come together to mm. remember anyone who's fallen on either side during this conflict. And so I I just felt maybe the time of year this is going out is important.
1: Well, I think there's a mixture of chance and design in the sense that, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, we were just delighted to get it all edited before lockdown and Mm. ready to go out. And I think the Israel Day thing was, you know, not... It was a happy accident, certainly mm. the, the kind of proximity to that um, because clearly I mean you know we're not even in a partic- in an anniversary year necessarily no, like no, that but I think there's good. a there's a sort of extra resonance I suppose um but yeah, I mean, funny enough, last year, of course, we did the fall of show about the Iranian revolution, and that's that the exact yeah. date, yes. that, as it were. But we couldn't quite pull that off this time, unfortunately. But I think um, that's yeah.
0: good, in a way. Yeah. I think maybe you're hanging it, it's, it gives more possibilities for people. To, to be combative or um, yeah. or triumphalist about it if it's pegged to an anniversary. Yeah. I think yeah. having it floating free is more sensible and it just sort of happens to coincide, but it's not a special year. I think that's very good. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this... Stops well short of any of the conflicts after forty-eight, obviously, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. which I think is also very good. You know, uh, I mean, altogether, I can hardly wait for the next episode. I and mean, I, I, there are, I'm not going to say them. There's some things I, that have happened I just knew were going to happen. Some, mm-hmm. some, the fates of some people, that I thought were going, was, you know, I wasn't surprised. But I'm not going to say <laughs> spoiler alert. It's so, you know, it'd be so easy to do that. But yes. um, basically, I get I. Don't know where it's going because, like everybody else, you sort of want these two young people to come together as they mm-hmm. mature. Mm-hmm. Um, I, st- I don't even know if they'll end up being friends, I know nothing at this stage <laughs>
1: obviously. So, um, well, well, that will be discovered. I think, I mean, you what's so interesting in the way you describe that is, of course, that's that's music to my ears in a way, because, of course, for some listeners, they know where the story's going, mm. but they just don't know what's going to happen to the characters. No. in a sense, that's the right way around, isn't it? And I, I hope that people, if they know something of the history, they'll forget forget it and rediscover it through the mm. characters. Mm. And if they don't, they'll discover it through the characters for anyway. the first time. And, yes. you know, I think that the the secret was to find each year and each moment where we really just focus the story on a particular sort of turning point mm. both in their lives and in the lives of the region and, and that again because of this sort of you know very condensed lot enabled what was in fact nearly five hours to to, to they will feel that like they fly by you know because mm. you're sort of you know I, I think another word i would use is it's quite impressionistic inevitably because we're trying to sort of cover ground but then people's lives are impressionistic mm. it seems to me you know we experience things in you know that year, that moment, that month, can, you know, uh, stand in for all sorts of, you know, whole decades, basically. I mm. mean, mm. um, you know, at one point, without giving too much away, Yusuf gets imprisoned. And in a way, we lose him from the story for a while. So, again, the balance comes and goes as well. We, mm. we kind of turn our focus more to Miriam's fate at that point. And mm. so, you know, it's just to keep varying the pattern as the story proceeds.
0: Yeah, I mean, what you say tallies is pretty well. I mean, obviously, a, a lot of uh, Palestinians or Arabs have spent a lot of time in prison, and I mm, think it's mm. fair dues for you to to give your main character that fate.
1: But of course, in this case, it's because of the British. It is a British prison? <laughs> British oh, British prison.
0: More. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yes, I. I mean, he's get sent off to a sort of strange, very very English British school where the British, mm. British corporal punishment. I'm not giving too much. Work. I was distressed. I was Mm. because we had, you know, this is again. You have to always remember that there's this third force here. We've got Arabs. We've got Jews. Let's call them for the minute because they're not quite Israelis yet. Uh, But we've also got the British. We really got a hold on this whole area. Uh, I get, I think it's episode two that says Britain takes control that 's what it's called mm-hmm.
1: so you know,
0: and, and and they're jolly well hanging on to it and and as I say they're kind of looking down their noses a bit so did I ask you i mean what your what, what is your hope for it i mean you can't be wanting to to educate and entertain but you're you're just trying to tell a true story i think aren't you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, i mean what what is what is in your mind
1: as your goal? Well, I think I think obviously to take a longer view that that mm. that is of course uh, what I've attempted to do with this, and having the luxury of more time than mm. I would normally have for a drama permits a longer, more complex view at something which has of course become very simplified in a lot of people's minds, mm. be they participants or onlookers. And I think you know, you educate and entertain is 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 obviously always at the centre of one's work but i think is it, another way of looking at it is experience mm. so i think i want to make people feel that they cannot but understand the characters at each point in their journey and that that in itself i think can have quite interesting and radical effects you know because you you know if you feel that you can't resist the character's path it does then help you understand how history can sometimes place us in you know, situations not of our own choosing, you know, what would we have done in those circumstances? Mm. Uh, and, and I felt, I mean, I was with every single character. Yes. You know, I mean, it's obviously, I'm not a great fan of the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, although even here I kind of understand mm. at various points why he decided to do what he did, the sense of his burden of, tradition i think he was a slightly manipulative person as well but i think there's yes. a degree to which also he was very proud i mean i think that sense of a slight aristocratic dimension to certain characters and their vision of the world has to be taken into account uh, i think the reason i picked harry as my character as you indicate is he's no he's not a colonial bully
0: no exactly
1: he's gone there in a very you know thoroughly delighted with the place hoping to make a positive contribution my hunch is that you know, three quarters of British colonialists, you know, was done in an in, in, in extraordinary, sometimes naive fashion, uh, the desire to kind of spread good into the world. Mm. And, and that, you know, clearly wasn't the outcome. So trying to sort of understand how good intentions can lead to extraordinary bad effects. But you can do that very glibly. I hope the drama allows us to sort of feel the good intentions, even as they're backfiring. Mm. Mm. Uh, So I think taking time, taking time with the characters, enjoying them when they are enjoying themselves as well. I mean, there's a lot of, particularly in the first few episodes, people celebrating, people, you know, know, and I think that's crucial. So it is a slowish start dramatically, but that's vital because, you know, there will be a lot of suffering and difficulty deeper into the story. And I think if we don't know why these characters care about where they are,
0: we're not going to follow that journey, it seems to me. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Yes, what you just say, people enjoying themselves. There's some contemporary resonances, actually, this is probably an un- unlooked-for one, but Miriam is enchanted by the sky. She talks about the mm-hmm. stars and the galaxies, and it's sort of, some sort of relief to her to be able to look up and look away mm-hmm. from, you know, the, the Europe, the, the, the very hostile Europe that she's tra- tra- traversed with her mother where nobody wants the Jews. Um mm-hmm. And I thought we're in this sort of strange world now, where the the skies are so clear. So I suppose we can um, mm. connect with Miriam on that one. But there are yes, some other yes. strange contemporary resonances. You, you you have their arrival in Palestine on a boat with great mm. difficulty. They are refugees. Yes. Yes. Terrified of being drowned. Yeah. Are they taken advantage of what's, what's going to happen to them? Um, you know, that Obviously, no, we know that, that that is how people arrived in Israel, but, you know, sort of wading into the water, and her, her mm. mother is absolutely terrified. So, mm. you know, that, that, so that's another one. So there's a couple of those sort of contemporary resonances. You can't,
1: you can't really avoid them, you know, as you write... In a good way. Though. You are mm. writing from now, so mm. I mean, of course, I was thinking about Britain's uh, migration policies, mm. and you know, episode six very much about the the Strumer affair, and of course, that was an utterly catastrophic call on the part of the British government. You know, so yeah, those emotional resonance between the, mm. the exact present and the and the present of the characters really important to think about. Yeah, and, and unavoidable, one. really.
0: Yeah, and there's one, and there's a point where you do that thing about. So i contemptuously saying something about you know, it's bloody Zionist. You know, saying that you're, mm. you know, and it's that's absolutely that trope now, isn't it? Muddling mm. up, the, you know, Jews are Zionists, and you say it with great contempt and anger, and that's mm. you know, that's the whole anti-Semitism story in one phrase. It's an old, yeah. it's an old trope, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. But you know, and I think it's important that you do cover it. I think it would be quite strange if you didn't. Mm-hmm. So,
1: you know, obviously, I'm hoping that we're in a different situation with the Labour Party now. I'm pretty confident we, we were. But I mean, it's another spur, really, mm. because that absolutely has become so poisonous, really, over the last few years. And I think that that is often resting on an extremely simplistic vision of the yes. history of the region. I mean, you know, there's a whole other story to be told about, you know, my party, the lay Party and its relationship to, to Israel. And you really touch upon the story of Ernest Bevin, And, yes. you know, I mean, I find that a fascinating side uh, issue, if you like. So mm. maybe that's another, <laughs>
0: another project. That yes, I was going to ask you what you're working on now. Are you just it, glad that this one has, has got under the wire before we were all <laughs> self isolating? Yeah. But you know, you, you've got so much to offer. I just wondered what the next big thing was.
1: Well, thank you. Well, I mean, very poignantly in a way, I would have been in rehearsal for a revival of my plays, The Contingency Plan, which are uh, kind of my take on climate change which I wrote actually mm. 10 years ago oh. but we're going to be restaged at the Donmar and oh. Theatre Cluid so obviously that didn't happen mm. because of Covid-19 it, it it's very likely to happen probably whenever theatres pick up the pieces so. uh, and I've been rehearsing with the actors on Zoom which has been quite wow. incredible actually <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to have you know mm. these extraordinary performers in one's own home and so that that's been some recompense um, yes. uh, but yeah we, unfortunately we won't be seeing that for a a foreseeable future but you know who knows i mean who knows where we'll be in nine months time or mm. well whenever.
0: obviously we can't properly predict that and there are so many no. you know, and we don't want to talk about the sorrow theaters going under and all the rest of it but meanwhile at least we've got 10 whole weeks yeah. listeners <laughs> 10 whole weeks when you would be gagging to hear the next episode <laughs> so which i am as you can hear so yeah uh, and I, great. Want to, no, I want to thank you and the cast and the production team is it mark Beebe? you've got
1: yeah, yeah, wonderful producer, yes, yeah, so a legendary and Sasha Yefyshenko as well is oh, also a really wonderful.
0: Legendary, producer. absolutely legendary. So you know, it couldn't, couldn't be better. It really couldn't. And I want to, I don't know, I want to thank you all on behalf of the listener.
1: Thank you. For this
0: magnificent project, which I hope will also bring about a lot of understanding for both sides.
1: I hope so too. I really do. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, Judy.
0: Thank you. It's been more than a pleasure.